VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. If you've read today's Times, and if not, why not, you'll have seen a story from our very own colleague, Owen Slot, finally outlining the proposed schedule for the Lions Tour of South Africa this summer. Matches only to be played in Cape Town and Johannesburg, just the three tests and opponents flown in for provincial games. With coaches pulling out and serious concerns over player welfare, we ask and discuss the question, is this a tour too far for Warren Gatland and the Lions? England play France in the final of the revamped Women's Six Nations on Saturday and we would speak to Red Roses star Leanne Riley. And of course it was another fascinating weekend of running rugby in the Gallagher Premiership. Who looks set for the playoffs? This is The Ruck. I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me today are both Stephen Jones and Adam Hathaway. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Morning. Now, Jonesy, Adam, before I uh, get stuck into the Lions, or before we get stuck into the Lions, I mean, listen, I turn my back for one week. I have a, a, a very well-earned week off. And, and, and Stephen, um, I did listen to the pod, obviously, last weekend. And, um, you know, climbing into me straight away just for having a weekend off. Well, as someone once said after he punched someone uh, in a te- Lions test match, you had to have it. The only th- th- thing I, I would say is you always get two chances with, with, with the ruck. Slotty is even worse because there's no sign of him. He's filed for the Times. As he bothered to do the to come and do the rep this morning, I think it's pathetic. I don't think he should be allowed back on again till he apologises in writing, personally to all our listeners. But also, it was Slotty's idea to take the out of you last week, not mine. Not Hathers, as as our, one of our regular guests on this show, um, would you like to defend your? Uh... Your fellow hack, Mr. Owen Slot. He's obviously feeling somewhat smug about the uh, scoop that he broke in today's paper around the Lions schedule and, and thought that that sort of arrogance would lead him to having a day off. I'm absolutely not going to defend him. The thing is with Slotty, what he's done is an absolute no-no in journalism. He's dropped a bomb. He's disappeared on a week off, so he's left everybody else to do the follow-up stories. This, he should be barred from journalism forever. <laughs> I presume he's turned his phone off as well. So yeah, you his, desk, his desk won't get hold of him today. Well, listen, anyone who read the piece in the Sunday Times, I mean, Jonesy, you absolutely lacerated the Lions committee. I mean, come on then, have the Lions got any chance of success? Uh, and is their very existence in doubt? In my opinion, it is. Because if you take the, uh, the, the if you look at the succession of tours, Lawrence, since Maybe, I mean, the, the first great professional tour, 1997, what an absolutely mammoth thing that was. Um, I don't think you got the prep you needed, but at least you got some. 
uh, everyone was tuned into it. The unions were behind you. There was no mucking around with Premier, Premier Rugby at the time about uh, getting players out. And it was just the biggest thing probably I've ever seen. Bigger than a World Cup for me. Since then, every every year they've chopped away something from the preparation. Every year there's been more and more bickering, including this year when you've got this ridiculous farce of an argument with with uh, Premiership Rugby for release of players just before they're about to go when the tour has been planned for 12 years. And um, I, I detect, and, and I, I'm quite you know able to move in the in these corridors. I detect unions now are totally self-centered, all of them for their for their own ends. I detect that um, people don't like the Lions going on tour because it means they their players disappear from their uh, from their site for a bit. No one has, has, has said a word. None of the Lions committee have kept us posted. And they are drifting away, not in your or mine or Adam's uh, affection, not in the affection of the public, but people are letting them drip, drip, drip away towards nothingness. Strong stuff. And and I'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners out there who 100% agree with with what you're saying there. Hafa's official confirmation is still yet to come. But uh, if we believe Slotty and his version of events, uh, it suggests that the Lions will start in Johannesburg. And then they will have three matches in Cape Town, including, of course, the first test before returning to Joburg for the remainder of the tour. Are we are we all being a little bit cynical, um, given that the, the, the last 18 months that we've had? You know, should we just be content that the Lions tour goes ahead at all rather than trying to to have what what Jonesy and, and a lot of fans want, which is, which is a sort of traditional Lions tour? I mean, the, the organisers, both in South Africa and the, and the Lions committee themselves, have have faced a, a mountain of different challenges. And I guess just even getting the tour on with or without fans in or outside South Africa, in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, is a feat in itself, no? I don't think we should be content at all. I think it's been an absolute shambles the way it's been handled. What they should have done in three or four months ago is just said, forget it for this year. Let's have it in 2022. Quite right. Now, the people I feel people I feel sorry for in this are the players. For some blokes, this might be their only their only Lions tour, but they could be cooped up in Santa, which is like being in Brent Cross for five weeks. But I just wonder whether the the view, and maybe you guys can shed some light on this because you know everything that happens in rugby, the two of you. I mean, I'm sure the players have been consulted. Do you ever think the question Jonesy was put to the players? Would you look? Can we, would you prefer to defer it for for a year? No, I don't think it was because it was uh, people put up barriers against it before they ever asked the players. I mean, it would have been nice if they had. And the people I've seen quoted, Lawrence, that that is exactly what they wanted. But you get this really bizarre situation where people are talking about interfering with World Cup preparations, like thirteen months before the World Cup. And then I'm in, in my in my research, I, I got in touch with the New Zealand Rugby Union, who who were the the chief meant to be the chief sticking point for the tour to be postponed would have cost them a home tour, and they said no one had formally approached them. So it just get it just, just gets bizarre, and I don't know whether Eddie Jones put his oar in and said no, you, you can't have the England players or, or what, but. It was the easiest thing. Incidentally, I should say, Lawrence, I'm not green critical of the people who sat down and and fixed this, you know, heroically, and that includes members of the Lions Committee. It's just this awful farce about um, preparation time and and, and when it is that that, that just annoys me. But I think it's bold to go ahead, you know, under the circumstances that will, will be out there. 
and uh, Hathers, Warren Gatlin's had, had his hands full or hands tied to a certain degree, just trying to find some coaches to, to come along and join him. Yeah. I guess, you know, when you're a gun for hire as a coach, um, I mean, Warren Gatlin, we've known, is, is going to coach the Lions Tour for quite some time now, but we, we've not really known who, who his assistants are going to be. And I guess, you know, many of the uh, leading coaches around the world, quite naturally, are, are, are in contract. They're, they're employed by someone else. It's quite difficult for them to, to suddenly drop tools and go away with the Lions. I, I mean, I appreciate, you know, in the olden days when you when you were coaching, you know, and you didn't necessarily have the contractual obligations that you have now. It was seen as very much an honour to be asked to, to coach the Lions. And it, and it still is now. And I'm sure all of those coaches would dearly love to join Warren Gatlin. But with the likes of Steve Borthwick and Graham Rountree already choosing not to tour, do you think that sort of decision might spread to the players because of this issue around quarantining on their return and all the other added complications? Well, f- firstly, you can, you can understand why Steve Borthwick and Graham Rountree pulled out for differing reasons. When we spoke to Warren last week, when he announced his coaching staff, he said he was preparing himself almost for players to withdraw and he wouldn't hold it against them if they did. I mean, would you really fancy the two weeks in quarantine? That's all up in the air now. The other thing on the on the preparation, with these English clubs that aren't going to release their players, even if they're not in the Premiership final, so it doesn't really count for Exeter and clubs like that because they're, going to have, they're probably going to be in the final. But if you're the Gloucester coach or the Bath coach or the Wasp coach, can you really go to Johnny May, Sam Underhill and Joe Launchbury? You might be fringe players to the Lions and tell them they're not going to the training camp. That's a fair point. Lawrence, can I ask you, 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 you and, you and uh, Warren are, are close. I mean, you, you, you know, you be, you admired each other for a, lo- a long, long time. But you, you, in my opinion, and you know him better than me, when he made that announcement, he looked downbeat, he looked knackered and almost ashen-faced, whereas normally when the likes of Geach or, or Warren come at the, the first press conference, they're really, really upbeat. And he looked like he had the cares of the world on his shoulders. So that that wasn't a good sign. And he did actually, as Adam says, he is prepared for a, a battle it, with the hearts and minds of the players. Maybe their, their, their wives or their or their families won't want them to go. So, so let's see. But uh, Warren's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, no doubt. Yes, I, I've, I've no doubt you're absolutely right. I think, the, I think we have to remind ourselves of how unique this Lions challenge is. You know, beating South Africa in South Africa is one of the is one of the great challenges of of of, mm. of of rugby. Full stop. I mean, the Lions, of course, did it in 1974 with the great Willie John McBride. The great All Blacks, you know, post apartheid, it took them till 1996 to to win a series in South Africa. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we were lucky enough to emulate that again in 97. So I think the challenge facing Warren Gatland is, is enormous anyway. Um, you know, he, of course, lost that series very dramatically in 2009. Um, and he's desperate to, to, you know, to get things back on track. He's, what is he, won a series, he's, he's lost a series and he's drawn one. And he absolutely passionately believes in the Lions. But I guess every coach wants kind of certainty um, because preparing for the tour in itself is really, really tough. Um, and what he hasn't had any step of the way is any certainty with regard to the way that this Lions tour is going to play itself out. You know, will it, won't it go ahead? Where will it be? He would have been, he would have known all these questions. Uh, the answers to these questions may, may be a little bit earlier than us. <laughs> but uh, if, if we're just breaking stories in the last 24 hours, which Owen's done, you can guarantee that the schedule wouldn't have even been decided until a little bit before that. So there's been so much uncertainty around it. And of course, even now, He's only just finalised his, you know, his group of coaches. Hundred percent, he will know now roughly what his squad is going to be. But what he doesn't know is if all of those thirty-six players are going to accept the challenge. And 
Therefore, he's going to have to have contingency plans around every selection of every player. You know, mm-hmm. if the first choice decides for, for personal reasons that he doesn't want to tour, then, you know, who's next in line? And, and, and of course, the other question is, if one or two players start to pull out, you know, what message does that send to the rest of the group? So I think that you can understand why there's, a, there's an, enormous, an enormous sort of cloud over Warren Gatland at the moment. But the other thing which I, I was going to pose to you guys is that you, you've been on more tours than, well, certainly more tours than, than most of the rugby population put together between the two of you. You know, this is going to be a tour like no other. When you go to South Africa as a lion, you go to see not only plenty of games of rugby, but you, get, you go to see a country. Now, these players are not going to be able to see that country. They're going to be locked away in a hotel for the best part of nine weeks. Now, living in a bubble environment like that is, is not pleasant. And therefore, the characters and personalities of that tour are really going to have to come through. And Warren Gatlin's going to have to create an environment that no other Lions coach has probably ever faced and, and keep things going. You know, how, how do you guys see that, that playing out, Jonesy? Totally agree, Lawrence. I totally agree. It's, it's like sort of going to the Maldives for a holiday and not going to the beach. South Africa, uh, I, I know some people think it's dangerous and it can, can be. But to me, it is just a wonderful, magnificent country, the scenery, the people, etc. And, you know, you, you get an education down there into history and politics because you're going through this magnificent area with all these huge houses. Suddenly, 10 seconds later, you're going through a, a really ramshackle township. Uh, and you know it, it, it is a it is a great country, and of all the touring countries, there's a warmth towards the lions. They get the history. Uh, obviously, they want to they want to beat us. I mean, you remember the atmosphere in the second test in in '97, etc. But but I, I just think it's it's the greatest of the lions tours by by a, by a big margin, and 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 not to be able to share in the country itself is, is a total shame. If you remember in. Uh, the last tour to New Zealand, there was a lot of trips to Maori citadels, etc., which is fine. But this time, there won't be that. And just just to make a final point to what you said about uh, Warren, he's he's drawing up a shortlist for people he wants to alert that there there are possibilities to go. I hope that those guys all get together and say, right, boys, you know what's the what's the plan? What are we doing? Is there a chance we can all stick together on this? And, and then see what the soundings are then. I think when when they go round them and say, look, you're in contention, that's when we'll know, hopefully a little bit early. But the, you, the point you make about South Africa is totally correct. And Hathers, I mean, we, we, we've just focused on the challenges that Warren Gatlin and the British and Irish Lions have faced. But of course, what we, what we must also remember and remind our listeners is that this will be quite a difficult tour for South Africa to host as well, because uh, the South African rugby team, when was the last time that they played a test match themselves? You know, they, their players haven't played an enormous amount of rugby. We were lucky enough to win a tour in, in 97 and, and, the, and the test players were withdrawn from playing against the Lions in, in the build-up to the series. And I just wonder, for all the challenges that the Lions face in, in getting a squad together and getting over there, do, do the South Africans not face some similar challenges in getting themselves up from from uh, from where they've been back to the sort of level they were at at the World Cup in Tokyo. Just quickly on those letters of availability that are going out to players, I haven't had mine yet, so um, I'm waiting for the postman. <laughs> well, the South Africans have done it before. Uh, the limited preparations after had for the World Cup, you know, Razi Erasmus only came in 18 months before. Warren hinted that this South African Test players might be playing in the warm-up games potentially, so they get some rugby there. Obviously, the Rainbow Cup is out of the window for them. I mean, it's, it is going to be tough. For them. I mean, the last game they played was the World Cup final. I can safely say, gentlemen, if, if Warren Gatlin's looking for a couple of uh, 
a couple of squad members to uh, to keep him company in the bars all around South Africa, then uh, <laughs> your letters are definitely on their way and being dispatched. But let's part the lines for a second, but you can guarantee that the Times, and in particular uh, Owen Slot, Stephen Jones and uh, Alex Lowe will have you covered because they seem to be covered across all the big stories. But I will warn you that when they do break a big story, they then have to take a day off because they're so shattered from all the work that they've done. Anyway, enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with The Times and The Sunday Times. Get a subscription today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck for more details. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. England and France have qualified top of their pools in this season's reworked women's Six Nations and will meet in the final at the Twickenham Stoop on Saturday. Jonesy's been talking to Red Roses star and scrum half Leanne Riley ahead of the game. Thank you, Lawrence. Those of you who know your uh, English rugby will recognise Leanne as a classic scrum half, I'd say. Uh, Incredibly good and sharp service. Uh, Leanne's played at a scrum half for England in the Six Nations so far. And Leanne, you've got the big one coming up on the weekend, the final of the Six Nations at the Stoop. What's the outline of the build-up this week? Yeah, it's like you say, it's the big one. It's what we all love to um, play rugby for. So yeah, the outline for us, I think we're going into camp first thing this morning. We'll just be focusing on ourselves. We... We put some good performances together against Scotland and Italy, but they weren't the full 80 minutes. So for us, it's about having that performance and being able to hold it for for the entire 80 minutes. What privations are there and restrictions? We all know it's the time of COVID. How onerous is is the COVID regime that you have to live under? Yeah, it's a bit different. We have different days in camp depending on when we've tested and when we get those results. So today will be quite a separate day because we're testing first thing this morning. 
um, and we won't get those results back till tomorrow. So today will be pretty much separate. It'll be forwards and backs separated. We'll have a gym session. We'll have a socially distant skill session. And then tomorrow, once we get those results in the morning, it will start to ramp up. Wednesday, we'll have our heavy contact days. So yeah, it, depending on the amount of COVID tests we've had in those results, then obviously once we get those results, the restrictions can be um, a little less lenient. We get to do some more training. We get a tiny bit of social time around training. But until those results come in, it is quite separate. Would you ever get used to uh, not having your, your your friends and family and and crowds at these games? I mean, I wouldn't like to get used to it. I'm ready for them to come back whenever they can. Yeah. It's cliche, but having the crowd there, like it just completely changes your mindset, the morale of the team. You're walking into the stadium when the coach arrives, you know, and there's people there greeting you and it's amazing. So it's definitely something that we as a team have missed. We turn up to a game now and sometimes, I mean, against Scotland, I was a bit like, I don't know, if it, is it game day? Like there's no one here and just that little bit missing. So yeah, we'll definitely, when it's safe to do so, we'll definitely welcome those crowds back in and we'll enjoy them whilst they're there. You've had two games so far. As you say, you were not absolute, absolutely uh, 100% satisfied with either of the performances. Uh, we both know that um, Italy and Scotland really did their best against you and tried to challenge you, but are you slightly anxious that you haven't had a real sort of a head-up, nose-down game yet and, and in which you were challenged all the way? It doesn't make me nervous or anxious as such. I mean, like you say, Italy and Scotland did put up a fight. I know the scoreline was what it was at the end of the game, but actually, mm. if you ask any player that went through that game, you know, we were waking up the next morning, we'd definitely been hit by a bus. It, it, you, the scoreline said one thing, but the way it felt to us as a team was a completely different story. So, yeah, I mean, like you say, it's going to have to be an 80-minute performance. We can't knock off and we can't give France those opportunities this weekend because definitely we'll get punished for it. So it will definitely be about that 80-minute performance and trying to you know, if we're under pressure, how to how do we change that? How do we flip that and put it on France and vice versa? If we've got France under pressure, how can we utilise that and capitalise on those opportunities? So it'll be a different story this weekend. You know, we can't afford any mistakes. But yeah, credit to Scotland and Italy. It definitely wasn't what that scoreline said at the end of those games. Okay, fair, fair enough. The weekend, the, the, the match at the Stoop, it is at the time of COVID, but it is a great prospect. First of all, at last, it's, it's, it's live on BBC Two. Too. you know there's no way you've you you haven't got to pay for it it is you turn on the tv prime time you get the match first of all i mean like live tv live national tv let's not get get into the, the satellite versus a terrestrial debate but it is a marvelous opportunity for you and and some possibly overdue recognition yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, the World Cup in 2017 was live on the, the mainstream TV as well. And the viewings figures for that were huge. So we're definitely really excited to have that opportunity again. I know my friends and family will definitely be watching back home, I'm sure, as will everybody else. Um, it'll be nice to be back at Twickenham Stoop. Obviously, I'm a Harlequin. So looking forward to getting back there and almost feeling like it's a proper home game. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting. Obviously, we'd like to, our aim will be to put on that top performance for those people. People. you know there'll be people that are probably going to be tuning in for the first time watching women's rugby for the first time and they're going to be the people that you know take our game going forward so we need to make sure that we're ready and we're putting on a show for them you're fairly familiar with the, with the French team it's not that long since you played them who are the people you you sort of have to keep a real eye on I, I know that all over the place they'll be dangerous but they have got some superb individuals Caroline Bouillard on the wing for a start has just come through 
stormingly, but who else is uh, is dangerous? I mean, you could call out a, cu- a number of their forwards. They're massively physical side. So, you know, the likes of Menage that I know was back against Ireland, they're number eight. They're definitely going to be the ones to look out for. But in terms of the backs, I think their new 15 at Boulard, she's looking mm. really good. Um, obviously, we've, we've not had the pleasure of playing against her. So that'll be exciting on Saturday to see what she does. And you've already mentioned the winger. Banet also picked up a couple of good turnover tries against Ireland so like you say they're a threat across the park but it all starts from the breakdown obviously I'm a scrum half if we can stop their scrum halves play in the way that they want to play um, you know we, we should be in for an alright day so it will start the breakdown and the physicality for us What is success? You must win and is this a time when actually performance goes out the window? I mean success like you say we've got to win we always want to win a Grand Slam we always want to win a Six Nations so mm-hmm. um, that'll be the scoreline and the win or the well the win will be um, what we're aiming for on Saturday but yeah I think we're we're our worst critics we're really harsh on ourselves so you know like you say if it is that 3-0 is that going to be success for us probably not um, you know we want to go out there and we want to show our potential as a squad and you know we like to score a variety of different tries whether that's through our pack and through the driving mall or whether it's with the back so I think success for us will be how long we can put that performance together how we deal with the pressure on the pitch um, and obviously getting that win at the end of it. Is the onus and the pressure been on you a lot more because Katie McLean's not there anymore and you know you've got to look after the new fly halves in the squad? Not so much as onus. I guess I have probably taken more of a leadership role within that. Katie was an amazing player and, you know, I learned mm. so much from playing with Katie. So we've had Helena Rowland come in from the seven. Zoe Harrison's been around for quite a while, um, you know, on and off the bench playing at 10 or 12. So Zoe and I have definitely had quite a few conversations. We've played with each other before, um, but it's been really nice to play with Helena. She's a completely different 10. So actually for me, as much as I've taken a leadership role, it's also been a learning curve to understand how the different tens want to play and making sure that I'm giving them the ball that they want at the time that they want so yeah I guess I have um, had more of a voice as such within the leadership group which has been nice probably not so nice when the pressure comes on on Saturday but we'll, we'll see how I deal with that but yeah definitely it's been nice to to play with some different tens and learn off them as well. In, in many walks of life, in sport and outside, there's been a, a lot more understanding of where the whole world has gone wrong with encouraging women, especially women, w- women in sport. Do you think we're at a, a kind of people talk about a crossroads or uh, crushing the or, or smashing the glass ceiling? Do you, do you sense uh, it, or are you too tied up with your with your rugby? Do you sense there's a change in the atmosphere and that? recognition is finally coming to you and the recognition that you deserve? I definitely think it's been on an upward curve for quite a while now. Again, like linking back to 2017 and that being on the mainstream and where it's taken off from there. Obviously, COVID has hit us and we haven't been able to um, get potentially the attraction that we wanted. It's also coming from the club game, the Alliance Premier 15s. Mm. So much of it is being streamed now. And because people can't go and view and watch those games in person, again, those viewing figures have been huge. And the more that you, we get people watching those games and, you know, as England players, we want to be standing out in those games. So oh, definitely she must be one that plays for England. So the more that we can get there, it's only going to filter up. And I do think we are at the stage now, obviously the Six Nations, it's got its own platform at the moment. The men played 
when they normally play and we've got this later one so yeah. it'll be huge for us to look back and reflect and see what interaction we had with the public how we could have that without having crowds in the stadium and then actually what do we do with that to then take it forward going into next season next season is a massive season for us obviously the world cup's been postponed so for us if anything we're just building and we want to get you know that massive crowd either in new zealand whether it's supporting from home obviously it's hard traveling across the world Mm. to go and support that but yeah we definitely want to be able to have that support behind us and i think we're in the right direction Jonesy, another brilliant interview. You've been a superb champion uh, and are a superb champion of women's rugby. But just talk very candidly and honestly, the, what, what, what is the state very quickly of the, of the women's international game, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere? And, you know, has this decision to, to, to change, to split, to, to try this new format, you know, has it, has it worked? And what are the lessons learned? Well, first of all, it, it was a it was a panic measure because they had to they felt they had to cut the tournament down. So basically, you found this thing where split into two pools and uh, just play two games each, and then you straight in straight into the final final. So it, it's a kind of afterthought sort of thing, Lawrence, and it was never intended that it would carry on like that. But I think now it must do because one of the problems that they've had, as I as Leanne and I were were saying is that it's been massive scores. I mean, Wales have lost by 50 twice. There's hardly been a, a, a tight game. Now, the problem you got there is a 50-0 or a, or a 60-0 is just not good TV. It's not good for coverage or for sponsors. And in my opinion, the only way they can get through this is to keep two pools. I mean, I would I'd think that they ought to split into a three and play home and away. The three would be Ireland, who, who, who are not bad, England and France. And, and then the others join the likes of Holland and um, Spain in, in a Division 2 with promotion and relegation because it is just not... Uh, some of the games have been barely uh, touch rugby with, with, with some of the defending there. So they have got a problem. The two professional countries, England and France, as you would expect, Lawrence, are, are just way ahead, and the others at the moment can't hold the candle to them. So it's time the others went and played in their own division to get themselves together. Simple as that. Well, listen, it's fascinating. Again, um, you know, superb interview. So I hope you, all you listeners, really, really enjoy that from Leanne. Now, just moving away from from international rugby, it's been another um, action-packed weekend of Gallagher Premiership that we've just had, and we've now got a run into the remainder of the season or for the remainder of the season, which has a block of, of what, six more matches after the weekend that's just been. Uh, now, gentlemen, Huffers, I'm going to start with you. There, there may not be any relegation this season, but but the race for the playoffs is certainly shaping up very, very nicely. Um, we saw a lot of tries scored over the weekend. Is it because of this issue around no relegation? Um, is it because suddenly the sun has burst through the clouds and we've got some hardened pitches and uh, and some sun on our backs. Is it because the players are uh, are up in their game, or or because they've got international players back from from the Six Nations, or is it none of those, or is it a mixture of all of those? Um, because um, you know, you guys normally have the answers, and our listeners want to know why are all these tries being scored? Well, it's, it's a combination of the lot. I mean, I'm fiercely um, anti ring fencing, but it seems to have uh, uh, given a more attacking mindset to some of the teams, particularly those in mid table, because they haven't got the fear of being sucked into the relegation relegation battle. I mean, if you look at that, the middle of the table, so Quinns are on 50 and 4th. You go down to probably Leicester out of it now after Sunday's defeat at Bath. But 
got Northampton, London Irish and Bath all within t- uh, 10 points of Quinns. They could conceivably get into the top four. The weather is a factor as well, isn't it? Great to have the sun out. People in pub gardens, although we can't get into them. By the way, gentlemen, you do have to book, right? Pre-book. You can't just rock oh, up. Yeah. I, know, I know you're big names in the, in the world of rugby. <laughs> you, you can't just rock up at... at uh, I mean, you're obviously not that big a name in the world of rugby because you weren't let into the pubs in Bath, were you? It, well, we were in Exeter. We were both in Exeter. And Hathers and I were going to have our first drink together for nearly a year after we finished work. It was a 12, 12.30 kickoff, bags of time. We did our work. We asked the Exeter people, where's the nearest pub? They said the Blue Balls, a great pub just around the corner, five minutes walk. We savoured those two pints we were going to have for the week before. When we got there, the rudest bloody landlord I've ever seen said, oh, no, we have a fully booked, fully booked. And I said, oh, is there any She said, no, 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 off you go, off you go. So don't go to the Blue Ball in Exeter. We then got a taxi to a massive pub where there was obviously going to be room when we got there it was like being at madison square garden when it was packed for the alley fight we couldn't get in there either so we ended up having two cans of warm londis beer sitting on the platform at exodus and david's so it was a great day hatters well i tried in bath yesterday as well and no good there either right i think law's got a point there we should have booked lawrence um I don't think it's the it's the uh, it's the lack of relegation because you know as for all we know if there were, was relegation maybe they would still be boring games. I just I just think once again the players and coaches have come through so strongly. I I love the Exeter game and Was game. I, f- I feel sorry for Was because they're so denuded and also Bath and Leicester. Uh, the you you were broadcasting on yesterday. What a you know these two great teams. They haven't really. I mean. I haven't really got an interest in the top four, I don't think. I mean, they might sneak in, but the commitment for, for two teams in the middle of the table and, and the standard of play and the drama, I just thought was excellent. And I have to say to you, you guys on BT, and I did a tweet on this, the broadcast was was wonderful as well. And I just thought, God, this, this division uh, may be led by donkeys, but when the players get out there, it's, it's tremendous. I, I really do. And I don't know where it's come from, really, but players players are playing rugby, open rugby. Uh, there's still that that edge to it. I just think Premiership is is in good shape, relegation or no relegation. Even though, like Adam, I'm I'm in favour of retaining it. Well, let's talk about the teams that have won. I mean, Saints Saints are going nicely against. Uh, they, they they pulled out 44-26 win against London Irish, who are a bit sort of up and down at the moment. And then, of course, Exeter wouldn't say back to their best because uh, they were losing at halftime and every mistake the Wasps made, Exeter pounced on in the second half particularly. But, uh, you know, good wins for, for, for Saints and Exeter, Hathers. And, uh, you know, how do you see those two sides shaping up? Well, we were talking about Exeter before the game at Bath yesterday, Lawrence, and um, I think you were right. I mean, Exeter don't seem to be quite there yet. Um, they've probably got to up it to beat Bristol on uh, Friday night, especially at Ashton Gate. Um, and by the same, in a different way, Wasps are nearly there, but not quite there. Um, obviously, with different ambitions. The North, the start of the Northampton London Irish game was bananas. I thought defending was um, optional, but I just wonder with the way that game started, whether players have got used to not having crowds, and that in a way releases some of the pressure that there's no crowd there. I don't know. I mean, you're an ex-player. You probably, if you're a player that makes a mistake, I think it's a lot easier to put to rectify that mistake because you haven't got a crowd on your back. <laughs> you've got the pressure of a crowd on your back of you i mean if you make a mistake at gloucester or or anywhere actually that you know the crowds 
get stuck into you, not quite in the same way as football, thankfully, but they really do get stuck into you. And, and I think you feel that pressure. And I think the, uh, the pressure of maybe trying things and the freedom of not, not, not being jumped upon by the crowd if you make a mistake or if you do try something is, is not there at the moment. So you are seeing players maybe try things that they wouldn't otherwise do. And equally, you're, saying, you're seeing players being able to recover, I think, their composure after they, they have made a mistake. Jonesy, Sale, they had a man sent off. They win against Gloucester. I mean, Alex Arneson has definitely got them going in the right direction there. And they, they surely are title contenders. And then in the same breath, Quinns. I mean, rugby's just so easy for them at the moment. They, I mean, 50 points to 26 against, albeit a fairly abject Worcester side. But I mean, Quinns, are they serious title contenders? You know, in themselves, these are the kind of pretenders to the throne maybe this season. Do, do you know what? I mean, they, they've they've been sort of almost coming up on on the blind side with it when no one's looking, and it is extraordinary because all our, these clubs have got really high profile coaches and or directors of rugby, Lawrence. But since uh, Paul Gustard went, you know, you've got to think twice as to who is in charge. Uh, and I'm sure he's doing a great job, but they've really looked strong and they look confident. They've got Danny Care playing career rugby and 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 you know I, I think i just got this 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 feeling that all right they get so, a lot of teams when they get into position four they're sort of cannon fodder because they play the top team and we don't see them again i've got a feeling that 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 if they do reach the last four which i think they will they will be um a good a good uh, and a dangerous team for bristol it looks like Bristol to play against. So you know they they got players who are not really that well known. I think Estelle's in the midfield uh, with Joe Marchant is a tremendous combination. And good and good luck to them. I mean they've come they've come from nowhere really, and uh, they're on, they're at full throttle. Gentlemen, I, w- I want to finish on that game that we saw at the Ret yesterday, Bath v Leicester. I mean, just just the mention of those two clubs against each other brings back memories of iconic tussles that they had. I mean, it was a game of to really behold. It was a shame that the fans weren't there. I mean, yes, of course, both clubs have fallen so far behind the likes of Exeter and Bristol. You know, this was never going to be a game that was at the top of the table or has that much meaning about the top of the table. Of course, you know, they've got outside chances of making the playoffs. But I just thought the quality of the game, the occasion itself, I had to be reminded that that had it not been for Saracens' indiscretions and the, and the penalty given out to them, that Leicester would have been relegated last season. Mm. Uh, they've, they've twice finished 11th in the table. So Steve Borthwick has got an, enor- you know, an enormous job and, and points it out at every press conference. He doesn't say much else in those press conferences. <laughs> that it's very much a rebuild job there. And, and to a, maybe to a lesser degree, Stuart Hooper has got a bit of a rebuild there. But for two clubs rebuilding, they, they gave us a real treat, Jonesy, yesterday. They did, and we had the extraordinary sight and sound of Ugo Munya, the great attacking winger, saying, for God's sake, boys, shut up shop and stop playing all this rugby. And Lawrence Delalia, one of the great hard men, saying, for God's sake, boys, keep throwing the ball about, which was actually good TV. Uh, Look, it was tremendous. Um, I think we'll come on to the player of the match soon, Uh, the, the man who apparently is not good enough uh, to be anywhere near the England squad at number eight. But uh, some really great attacking players. So nice to see Anthony Watson get the ball in his hands. Uh, you know, and Leicester Tigers had some big, hard Tiger-type forwards there, which was great as well. And, uh, you know, Ellis Genge, uh, Dan Cole, blimey. You know, maybe they hoodwinked the ref, maybe they didn't. But it looked like two clubs who finally said, right, lads, we're getting back up there. And I, I loved the game. Uh, and it was just tremendous. I I couldn't have been happier watching it on my armchair. 
I couldn't agree more. And Hathers, I mean, there's some law changes coming in or being trialled in, in rugby, and we won't talk about it because it deserves a pod on its own. But, um, I mean, one of the law changes they should be introducing is if the weather's fine and dandy and the pitch is in good shape, no box kicking in the opening 15 minutes, I reckon. Because, <laughs> because what happened yesterday is that, is that Bath came out with, a, with an attacking mindset. And yeah, mm. they turned the ball over a few times. And we see that in the Southern Hemisphere quite a bit as well. But I think if you've got that attacking mindset, it really does challenge your opponent in a very different way. And, and I, do you know what? I was really pleased that Bath won the game yesterday with that Ben Spencer conversion, particularly as he made a very odd decision just before half-time mm. not to take the kick at goal. And I think, you know, talk about going from zero to hero in, in, in the space. But I just believe that, that, yes, Leicester are improving. Yes, they had that physicality and that, that, that set-piece dominance and that cussedness. But I just like teams that have attacking ambition to be rewarded. Mm. And I just felt of the two teams, there was one side that had, an outstanding player in George Ford who was just happy to manage the game um, and he did that superbly. But equally, I thought Bath as a team deserved to win because they showed that real attacking intent right from the off and, and probably had a bit more ambition than Leicester Tigers to win the game. Well, it, it might go back to what we were talking about before, you know, Bath outside shot of the playoffs. If Bath had been fifth, four points, four points behind um, Harlequins reckon they would have played the same? I, I don't know. And Leicester have been told that they should have got relegated last year every week by Borthwick, who repeats it to us every week. So maybe there's no pressure on them. So maybe that that has contributed to it. But it was a, it was a terrific game. Well, listen, moving on to our God or Goddess of the Week. Jonesy, I've got a feeling that, that your God of the Week might come from one of those uh, what, 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 one of those two teams that you watched yesterday. But, it uh, did. I, I, I think, I thought Oli Devoto had an absolutely magnificent match on, on Saturday. Attack and defence. I thought he was the the kingpin in midfield, but uh, there were no prizes for the man of the match yesterday in Zach Mercer, ignored by Eddie Jones, even though the top line uh, England number eight is not playing well. And the next one at Bristol is, is gone down back, uh, has gone back a bit. I thought that considering he was being targeted all throughout, the number of times that Zach Mercer was put down by the first defender was minuscule because his feet were so good. His heart was huge. His talent was huge. And I'm thinking, why on earth have English rugby let this guy go away to play in France? God, worthy, of, the, God of the week. Yeah, a worthy winner. And only 23 years of age. I mean, it's, oh, I, mean yeah. I, I mean, I think he, you know, for what it's worth, I think he will go away to France. He'll play outstandingly well out there because I think his game suits that type of rugby even more than it probably does in the Premiership. And I think he'll come back and have another opportunity with England, uh, probably when a different person's coaching. Who knows? Hathers, uh, anyone stand out for you, God or Goddess of the week? Yeah, not necessarily for on the pitch, but um, when we speak to players after games, we get a bit bored of the, uh, I'm not talking about the Lions or this is a private matter sort of thing. Anthony Watson um, hasn't got any worries on the Lions score, I don't think. But it was interesting. I don't want to bring his name up again, but Owen Slot asked him the... Uh, the pertinent question, which was... Um, oh, what, what, he was fight, He was there at the game, was he, Slotty? He was there that? at the game. Well, Slotty asked him about Zach Mercer and he said, well, when I found out that he was leaving the club, I didn't talk to him. So he actually blanked him for a couple of weeks. Um, now he understands the reason why he's going to Montpellier. But I thought that was quite refreshing that he said he blanked a teammate and it gave us a line anyway. So he's my God of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Probably took Anthony Watson down to the ATM and showed him why he's leaving the club. That's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I, I will go for an obvious choice, but uh, not, not an obvious choice in the game yesterday. But uh, I, I, I felt that I, I love seeing players win games and I hate to see players lose games. And uh, 
uh, I thought that there was a couple of decisions that were a bit odd in the in the game yesterday. But for Ben Spencer, who looks a bit out of sorts at the moment, um, he's not playing quite as well as he has done for Bath. You know, he he, he made a decision to uh, to not kick for, for for goal. It would have taken them into a half-time lead. And then to have that opportunity and to show the kind of co- composure and bottle, if you like, to to win the game for his side was was wonderful. So Ben Spencer, well done to you for, for slotting that touchline conversion. You're my God of the week. Right, my thanks to Stephen Jones, Adam Hathaway, and of course, the best of luck to Leanne Riley against the French on Saturday. The Ruck returns next Monday, possibly with Owen Slot, if you can be bothered. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes, or your usual podcast provider. Or in who? <laughs> <laughs> VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.